Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Christos voskres, vois tinobuskres. Christos anesti, alethos anesti. Hamasiyakam, hakankam. I just greeted you with the Christ is risen in several different languages. And this is what we do in the Eastern churches at this time of year, this grand and glorious time of our Lord's resurrection, because his resurrection was, of course, for all people, that all might be saved. And so we greet each other in several languages. That's our custom. The main language, of course, English, and second to that for our church is the Church Slavonic, in which we say Christos Voskres, meaning Christ has risen. And the response, of course, is indeed he has risen. And this, of course, comes right out of the scriptures where the women went to the apostles, the apostles went to each other, and they were saying, he is risen, indeed he is risen, we've seen him. It's that affirmation. So we do the same thing because we take on the people of the Bible. We become them, and in particular, today. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and you're listening to Light of the East, and with us today, of course, is Katie, Katie Goulis, and it's very significant that she is with us today. It's actually more important for her to be here than for me to be here, because today in our calendar, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, during this post-Pascha season, it is the Sunday of the Myrrh-Bearing Women. So, ladies, if you're listening, you get in free today. Welcome to Ladies' Day here on Light of the East, and welcome, Katie. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. We're going to back up just a little bit in this journey with the women. We're going to go back actually to the woman of all women, of course, the mother of God. And just before her, I'm going to back up just a little bit more to last Sunday, just to touch on that with St. Thomas. 
because there is an important significance. There's really a significance here of the characters in the drama which we become. And their significance has to do with, with a lesson that we need to learn in our spiritual journeys. But this whole week is really a magnificent week, Katie. We've got several saints, actually. In addition to the Easter season, the myrrh-bearing women, Thomas, we've got several saints throughout the week. One of them is Saint Nicholas. In fact, on Monday is the translation of the relics of Saint Nicholas of Myra. And Katie's going to give us a little historical background on that, reading from the Synaxarian, which is kind of like the the historical context of our liturgical calendar. It's a tradition to read that, especially during the morning prayer services. And this day is commemorated the translation of his relics. In the time of the Emperor Alexius I Comenus and Patriarch Nicholas Grammaticus in 1087, the body of this saint was taken from Myra and Lycia to the town of Bari in Italy. This came to pass because of the Muslim attacks in Lycia. The saint appeared to a priest in Bari and commanded that his relics be taken there. At that time, the town of Bari was orthodox and under the administration of an orthodox patriarch. At the translation of the saint's relics, many miracles were wrought on those who touched them, and a healing myrrh flowed in abundance from them. Also on this day is commemorated the miracle worked by St. Nicholas on Stefan of Dechani, the king of Serbia. This was when the saint restored the sight of the blind king Stefan. Yes, you notice when, what Katie read there, it said that this was a time of the Orthodox, when the emperor was Orthodox. Well, we have to remember he was just barely Orthodox, because we're talking about ten in the 1080s, and the Great Schism happened just a few years before, in 1054. Remember, this is the Great Schism where the Eastern churches and the Western church excommunicated each other. The West calling itself, eventually, the Latin Rite or Roman Catholic Church, and the East calling itself, of course, the Eastern Orthodox Churches. Parts of those Eastern Orthodox Churches returned to communion with Rome and Rome with them about 500 years later, and that's what we have today known as the Eastern Catholic Churches, of which, of course, Kate and I are part of that. Uh, The Byzantine Catholic Church is one of those Eastern Catholic Churches, those parts of the Orthodox Church that reunited about 500 years after the Great Schism, which was in 1054 AD. So the emperor, as this account says, this historical account, was just, in a sense, barely orthodox, as it were, quote-unquote. And we heard that the reason why they took Nicholas's relics to Bari was to protect them, actually. The story goes that the sailors stole those relics. (laughs) Actually, it was to protect them from the invading Muslims who would have probably, at the time, desecrated them. Now, interesting. There's an interesting development today, isn't there, Katie? That there is. You were telling me before the show about the uh, the request to bring those back to Turkey. That's right. Yeah, we actually covered this. Um, I think it was a year or so ago. It was around um, the time of his feast day on December sixth. Yes. Um, they were talking about in modern day Turkey. They were going to make a museum in St. Nicholas's hometown, mm-hmm. and they wanted to bring his relics back. The Muslims wanted to bring his relics back so they could make them part of this tourist attraction so they could mm-hmm. make money off of them. And of course, in Bari, they they said, no, 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 no. We're not going <laughs> to send them back. We're going to keep them here because they're being venerated in the proper way. They're not just being put in some museum. And this story hits close to our home and heart, right? Katie is Byzantine yep. Catholic. So we have a message for our good neighbors in the country of Turkey on this issue. Yep. Father Tom and I have a solution. We will start making negotiations to give the relics of St. Nicholas back to his homeland if... Mm-hmm they restore the Hagia Sophia to Mm -hmm. its proper dignity. And 
put the relics of St. Nicholas in the Hagia Sophia. In Hagia Sophia, exactly. Hagia Sophia, of course, is translated holy wisdom. That was the great church, probably the greatest church ever wrought by the hand of man with the help of God in all of Christianity, built by Justinian centuries and centuries ago, eventually was overtaken by the invading Muslims who turned it into a mosque, and today it is simply a museum. But they're uncovering a lot of the great artworks that are in there, mm-hmm. the great Byzantine icons and mosaics that are in there. And yes, it is a tourist track. Basically, it's like a museum, regrettably. But I'll tell you, I visited there, and when I walked in there, I was walked in there with my other priest friends, and we just couldn't help but spontaneously. Welcome back to Light of the East during this week of the Burberry Women. As I said, ladies get in free today, and we're happy to have our lady here of Light of the East, Katie Goulis. And Katie, we were talking about St. Thomas and making the point that his proclamation, coming through his doubt, turned out to be a great affirmation of who God is, that he was fully God and fully man. But also one more thing that is significant about Thomas, and that is is because just as St. Augustine once referred to original sin as the happy fault, oh, happy fault, meaning not that it was good that Adam and Eve sinned, through that sin, God worked out redemption. In other words, Christ, it, it, it initiated Christ coming into the world and redeeming the world, which was a great event, as only God can do. Our liturgical texts say this, How wonderful is the doubt of Thomas! It brought the hearts of believers to the knowledge of God. Therefore he cried out with fear, My Lord and my God, glory to you. So once again, just like as Augustine referred to in, with the original sin, O happy fault, our liturgical text in the Byzantine church referred to Thomas's doubt as something actually turned out to be good because through it, he made the one affirmation the Bible is all about. For us, not just Thomas, but for us, for those to be our words, for us to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. Now we come to the ladies. But again, we're going to back up a little bit. I'm going to share with you a beautiful service, beautiful moving texts that come from a service called the Service of Lamentation or the Small Compline. And this would have been prayed on Holy Friday, late at night or early Saturday morning in the wee hours of the night following the great Vesper service in the Byzantine church where we lay the shroud, the image of the crucified Christ in the tomb as though we were Joseph taking him down from the cross and burying him in a new tomb. And then what proceeds is a service in which we contemplate the heart of Mary, you know, the woman of all women, the woman on this woman's day here. And Katie's going to read some of the liturgical texts from this office of lamentation, which we hear the outpouring of grief from the mother of God. When she beheld her son and Lord hanging on the cross, the pure virgin was torn by grief, and weeping bitterly with the other women, she cried out, Woe is me! I see thee, dearest and beloved child, hanging on the cross, and my heart is wounded bitterly, said the pure virgin. But in thy love speak some words to thy handmaiden. By the strange and fearful birth, my son, I have been magnified above all mothers, but woe is me! I burn as I see thee now upon the cross. I wish to take my son down from the wood and to hold him in my arms, as once I held him when he was a little child, said the all-pure. But alas, there is none to give him to me. See my sweet light, my hope and life, my son in God, has been quenched upon the cross, and because of him I burn, said the virgin shedding tears. Sun that never sets, O pre-eternal God and creator of all things, how dost thou endure suffering upon the cross, said the all-pure weeping. Lamenting, the virgin mother said to Joseph, O Joseph, go in haste to Pilate, and ask to take down the master from the tree. 
Seeing the most pure shedding bitter tears, Joseph was troubled and came in sorrow to Pilate, crying aloud, Give me the body of my Lord. I see thee bruised and wounded without glory, stripped upon the cross, O my child, and my heart burns, said the virgin, sorrowing with a mother's grief. Broken and distraught by grief, Joseph and Nicodemus took down the all-pure temple of the Master, his body from the cross, and they made lamentation and sang his praises as their Lord. The pure virgin mother wept as she took him on her knees. Her tears flowed down upon him, and with bitter cries of grief she kissed him. My son, my Lord and God, thou was the only hope of thine handmaiden, my life and light of mine eyes, and now, alas, I have lost thee, my sweet and most beloved child. Woe is me, anguish and affliction and sighing have taken hold of me, cried the all-pure virgin, bitterly lamenting. For I see thee, my beloved child, stripped, broken, anointed for burial, a corpse. In my arms I hold thee as a corpse, O loving Lord, who has brought the dead to life. Grievously is my heart wounded, and I long to die with thee, said the all-pure, for I cannot bear to look upon thee lifeless and without breath. I reflect, O Master, how never again I shall hear thy voice. Never again shall thy handmaiden see the beauty of thy face as in the past, for thou, my son, hast sunk down before mine eyes. Seeing her own lamb led to the slaughter, Mary his mother followed him with the other women, and in her grief she cried, Where dost thou go, my child? Why dost thou run so swiftly? Is there another wedding in Cana? And art thou hastening there to turn the water into wine? Shall I go with thee, my child, or shall I wait for thee? Speak some words to me, O word. Do not pass me by in silence. Thou hast preserved my virginity, and thou art my son and God. Release me from my agony, and take me with thee, O my son and God. Let me also descend with thee, O master, into hell. Leave me not to live alone, for I cannot bear to look upon thee, my sweet light. With the other women, bearing sweet spices, the Holy Virgin lamented bitterly when she saw Christ carried to the sepulcher. Woe is me, she cried. What do I see? Where art thou going now, my son? Hast thou left me here alone? In her despair and grief, the all-blameless virgin said to the woman carrying sweet spices, Join me to weep and bitterly lament, for see my sweet light and your teacher is placed in the tomb. Never again shall joy be mine, cried the undefiled lamenting. The light of my joy has gone down to the grave, but I shall not leave him alone. Here shall I also die and be buried with him. Now you can hear the moving, deep sorrow of the Mother of God. And what's interesting about this is that in the Eastern churches, we don't usually focus as much as in the West on the, the purely human experience, the human suffering, the human emotion. We do touch upon it, of course. There's nothing wrong with that, with exposing it and observing it and praying about it, as they do very well in the genius of the Western church. The Eastern church, we generally kind of point our gaze towards the theological significance of what it is that each person is experiencing, whether it's Christ or, in this case, his mother. But at the same time, from time to time, we do touch upon that human emotion, that sentiment, and we go deep into it, as you just heard from these magnificently moving prayers coming from the heart of the Mother of God. However, this is no longer the week of sorrow, of death, and crucifixion, and suffering. It is the week of the resurrection. So, we hear now from Christ himself to his mother as she is at the foot of the cross, and from her back to him, rather, this whole mournful section ending in triumph. How hast thou not seen the depth of my tender love, said the CRI Catholic Radio International dot com.